Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. For those of us who follow sports closely, the concept of amateurism is something we've been exposed to our entire lives. Amateurism is defined as practicing of an activity, especially a sport, on an unpaid rather than professional basis. Historically, the highest profile examples of amateurism was in college athletics. Until recently. As of July 1st, 2021, those college athletes who were once considered the primary example of amateurs no longer have that same definition. But does that mean they're paid for their services? Well, not exactly. New legislation passed in multiple states and the NCAA reaction to that legislation now enables college athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness, or NIL for short. The loosening of those restrictions is a shift from historic NCAA stance and has opened up an entirely new space for not only those athletes, but universities and companies around them. This rapidly evolving space is very exciting, but can also be a little confusing not only for us fans, but for student-athletes. Our guest today, Adam Cook, can not only help us understand this NIL space, but is one of the people helping craft the path forward in that space. Adam is the Director of Athlete Development and Partnerships at Campus Inc., where he helps professional and college athletes build and leverage their personal brand. His career has spanned a wide range of roles in sports, recreation, and fitness. He served as a strength and conditioning coach, men's and women's volleyball coach, and developed multiple athlete international service learning programs. Adam has led sports and community impact programs in more than 20 countries as a part of his passion for growing global sports opportunities. The range of experiences has given him a unique insight into the growing impact of sports on a global scale with firsthand experience at the highest levels of competition all the way down to local community initiatives. In addition to his work as Campus Inc., Adam is also an adjunct faculty member at Northwestern, where he teaches multiple courses in the MSA program, and is also an adjunct faculty member at California Baptist University in exercise science and sports psychology. This NIL space is is a rapidly evolving and really interesting one, and so we're extremely happy to have Adam as a guest on the podcast. We all hope you enjoy this deep dive into name, image, and likeness with Adam Cook. Thank you for, for taking the time to join us today. We're so so happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, excited to be here. It's going to be great. So I really want to dig into the, the what you're doing today in, in that evolving name, image, and likeness space. But you know, before we get there, I think it's important to go back to, to some of the things that you've done before in your history because it really does play into what you're doing today in, in your work with college athletes. Yeah, so um, I uh, was... I grew up in the Chicagoland area. Um, my, my dad was a, a collegiate baseball and basketball coach and uh, he's still an athletic director. And uh, so I feel like I, I grew up in gyms and, and on fields and uh, just recently had a son. And so we were talking about, um, you know, just how you are as, as a baby compared to, to yours. And my parents would tell me stories about I'd be, you know, riding the team bus to basketball games in the car seat. And uh, I don't know all the safety regulations around that these days, but um, yeah, sports have always been kind of a, a big part of my life. So um, I played soccer and volleyball, got recruited to play volleyball um, in college. So moved away from Chicagoland area um, out to Riverside, California, where I played at California Baptist University. Um, I'm only six one, so uh, I was a libero. They didn't let me in the front row, um, but played there. And then um, 
volunteered as a strength and conditioning coach, and then was able to be an assistant coach for both the men's and the women's programs um, for a couple of years, which uh, was a, a fantastic experience being able to, to transition from the playing side to the coaching side. Um, education and teaching is, is a, a big passion of mine. And so um, that was a, a really fun experience before my wife and I moved back here to the Chicagoland area in 2017. What's interesting is that Adam and I met for listeners. Adam and I actually met because, you know, along with that athletics background and the coaching background and the teaching background, Adam also has a bit of a tech background too. And, and some work that I did, you know, at 1871 um, around speaking and, and, you know, helping startup companies. Adam was, was someone that, that um, was there at 1871 with his company that he was at at the time and, and building a tech platform, um, which again has a, another roundabout way of how you got connected with what you do today. But so it's, it's really a wide range of backgrounds that you have. And, and <laughs> what's cool is that it seems they're all coming together in a sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think I talk to uh, students about this in class all the time. Like you never know where your opportunities are going to lead you, right? Who they're going to introduce you to, um, what experiences you're going to gain that you're going to be able to uh, leverage or put into play, you know, years down the road. And, and that's a perfect example of it. When I moved back to Chicago, you know, I didn't really have a professional network. You know, I moved to California when I was 18 and um, <laughs> you don't really have a professional network as, as an 18 year old. And so um, uh, I got hired at a, a company, Printavo, and, and really wanted to build out my sales skills, which is something that you're really good at. So I went to your <laughs> workshop and uh, saw your background and, and uh, started picking your brain a little bit. And then that's, yeah, one thing led to another. And, and that's how we're here now. Yeah. And now, you know, I, you have transitioned to what I think is a really interesting role in a really interesting space. And one that, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording around, you know, in sports today, there's kind of three things that you hear about top level so much. Mm -hmm. Gambling is obviously a really big thing. NFTs and, and all around sort of creating that digital scarcity and, and the smart contracts that underpin them and so on. But the other piece is, is name, image, and likeness or NIL that, that mm -hmm. you see. And your role now is, is you know, the director of athlete development partnership at Campus Inc. that has a big, you know, the NIL portion of that is a big piece of it. So I guess yeah. if we take that all the way back if for the listeners and even for me, can you sort of explain what name, image, and likeness and, and all of the pieces around that really constitutes? Yeah. So uh, prior to July 1st of 2021, uh, collegiate athletes um, didn't own any of the rights or intellectual properties or, or licensing around their name, image and likeness. And what that meant is that they were unable to uh, leverage or capitalize or monetize anything around their NIL, their name, image and likeness. And what that translated to as athletes was a lot of challenges, um, both monetarily, both uh, um, compliance wise. I remember, you know, you'd go into the, the, the bathroom and without being, you know, too crude here, we go into the bathroom and there'd be, you know, posters on the wall talking about all these things you can't do and make sure no one takes photos of you and make sure you don't, you know, contact anybody about all this stuff. And it's like, man, I'm just here trying to play ball. Right. And so, um, July 1st, uh, that legislation changed. We're now, uh, collegiate athletes are able to, uh, both capitalize and monetize on using their hard earned reputations around their name, image, and likeness. It's really interesting because, you know, this plays back and you think historically some of the things 
uh, was it Ed O'Bannon right at UCLA. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a similar story of, hey, I'm, I'm in this video game and, and I'm not getting anything yep. around it. And I think that it's a space that's been prevalent for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting and really cool to see that, you know, that's starting to open up and give athletes the opportunity to sort of explore this space, right? And I say explore it because it does seem you're at the very beginning stages of what this could be. And so, you know, if you talk about Campus Inc. and what Campus Inc. does, I think it's a really interesting parlay into how athletes, one avenue that they can use in this, you know, name, image, and likeness space to capitalize on that. Yeah. So uh, Campus Inc. is um, a, a merchandise apparel and fulfillment company um, that's actually located in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, on the campus of, of University of Illinois. Um, they were founded in, in 1947 as, as a family company and have been there ever since. So they do a lot of the printing, obviously, for U of I. Um, but then uh, Stephen Farrig, one of the owners, came on uh, in 2015 and, and really had the purpose of kind of bringing Campus Inc. into this new age where you can leverage different technology tools and, and be aware of new opportunities around merchandising and e-commerce um, that are available in the market. And so um, they started managing a lot of, of national brands, um, you know, TikTok, TikTok stars, um, influencers, uh, really kind of diving into this e-commerce and merchandising space. Um, along with that came some athletes. And then, you know, fast forward a couple years later and, and, and IL becomes available. Um, being so closely connected to college campuses and having uh, collegiate athletes, having students and having education be such a part of their ecosystem and their ethos as an organization. It was an opportunity that really um, is exciting. Right. And so um, he reached out to me because of my background as as an athlete and as a former coach and was kind of asking some of those same questions. Right. Like, hey, this is brand new. Uh, what what are some of the opportunities here? What are some of the liabilities? You know, we don't want to to uh, step on anybody's toes or, or make any mistakes or hurt anybody's eligibility. Um, but also, you know, sports is, is this massive uh, merchandising opportunity. You know, you see that from professional leagues, professional franchises, um, and you even see it at colleges uh, just without the athlete's name on there. Um, so I started kind of consulting for him and lending him some perspective. And uh, as we kind of chatted through what his goal was and his approach was, uh, it was clear that it was putting the athlete first, which, you know, to your point around a lot of these, you know, video games and group licensing things is, is the biggest missing piece around the money that's generated from, from collegiate sports is the, the athletes not present, the athletes not there. Um, and so that's, that's really what we're trying to do with, with, um, with Campus Inc. And, and how we leverage the opportunities with NIL is make sure that we keep the athlete first, uh, make sure we, we, you know, put their best interest and in, in, uh, really, you know, for lack of a better term, their pockets at, at the first priority, right? Um, it's, it's their hard-earned NIL that we're leveraging. Um, they should be the first ones to benefit from it. It is really cool to see that, you know, the work that they put in, they can capitalize on that in some way. And I think that one of the hard things sometimes, you know, in, in discussions that I've had around this, we, I use that word capitalize. And capitalize doesn't necessarily mean that these two student athletes are making millions of dollars, but it's giving them the opportunity to make some walking around money, 
right? Yep. You know, athletes don't have the ability oftentimes in, as a university student with the, all the obligations that they have to have a job that could give them some money, yeah. you know, and, and as you've mentioned to me before, you know, I think the NCAA uses this in their commercials, right? So many of those athletes go pro in something else and it, they give them the opportunity to have the money to be a college student or some money, you know, it is, is a really good opportunity for those students. But the, with Campus Sync and all that you do, you're specifically focused on the merchandising aspect. And does that mean hard goods? Like what is an example of something that, that a, a student athlete may come to Campus Sync to, to really manage in that, in that space? Yeah. So what we focus on is uh, custom and co-licensed apparel. So um, being so closely connected to college markets, uh, being able to um, sell licensed apparel is really important, right? And so what we've been able to do at, at U of I so far, and we're working on scaling this out to, to other universities across the nation, is is develop what we call locker rooms, right? So uh, if you go on Illini.store, you can go to the locker room. And you can see, um, you know, Kofi Coburn, for example, you can go into his locker room and see that we've got, you know, some jerseys, some shooting shirts. Uh, but then we also do um, limited releases or, or custom merchandise. And so, um, you know, I think one of the coolest things about uh, being an athlete and having, you know, a, a platform that you can uh, leverage and some influence that you can uh, use to um, your advantages is also using that to help people. And so um, we work with athletes to develop some of those custom, you know, t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever it may be that one, they really like to wear. They've got, you know, kind of a, a bit of an input into how it looks and the type of garment that it is and all that. But two, um, they can also leverage it to, you know, create it as a fundraiser, give back to their community or, uh, or whatever it may be. And so um, we try to leverage our influence in the printing and the merchandising uh, space, as well as co-licensing um, while we educate our athletes on like, Hey, here are some opportunities that you can maybe, um, market this a little bit differently, market this a little bit better. You know, here's how you can take your revenue that you're generating and spin it out into another opportunity or some sort of charity that you're passionate about. Um, so it's, it's been really exciting. It is cool to see too, that there's that consultative approach to it. Right. I think that, that oftentimes, there's a reticence around, you know, and, and historically speaking, a reticence around, okay, these, these college athletes, uh, student athletes themselves are going to make money around this. And it becomes, you know, the ecosystem of, of, you see, we'll use that the AAU basketball ecosystem mm -hmm. as, as an example, right. And some people around there that may have ulterior motives involved. And so, as you mentioned, you know, it, part of what you do is a level of, of consultancy around them to say, hey, from a branding perspective, here are some good avenues that you could go down that one melt with what you want to put forward, but also too could give back while mm -hmm. all along that using that name, image and likeness that you work so hard to cultivate as the sort of central driver of it. Yeah. And, and you know, this, this is something that you and I were talking about and um and one of the things that really attracted me to Campus Inc., you know, from the onset is that that value of of education and wanting to help people, you know, improve and, and get better. Uh, because as as a 
collegiate athlete myself, like I, I didn't have time to do an internship when I was in school, right? Like I didn't have time to get a part-time job or I was going to be in jeopardy of, you know, losing my spot on the court or on the field. Right. Um, that was my job. That's why I was in school. And so what that meant was I missed out on some opportunities to maybe, you know, capitalize on some other internship opportunities with, uh, with specific companies, you know, fast forward to the end of your senior year, you know, when you're out of eligibility and if you're not going pro, you've got to go find a job somewhere. And, and we all know it's not about what, you know, only it's about who, you know, and often, you know, building that network through internships. So what do you do? Right. Um, beyond just building that network, I didn't really have the hard skills of understanding how companies worked, how organizations worked, what, what marketing was and how to negotiate contracts and things like that. And so that's one of the other really cool things that I think uh, this, this NIL opportunity provides space for is giving these athletes an opportunity to dip their toe into business analytics, marketing, contract negotiation, e-commerce, um, you know, endorsements, what have you, while still being under the umbrella of their institution, right? They're still in a little bit of this safe space. They're not out there completely on their own, um, but they can get real world practical experience and actually get paid for it, just like an internship. You couple that too with, you know, we've always known, and I think that it's it really is true that the soft skills that that you can learn as a student athlete, right? That leadership, the, the teamwork, mm-hmm. the, the time management, those pieces, because it is a difficult situation being a student athlete, but then you're put in high pressure situations, especially in certain sports, you really get those soft skills. But then, you know, as you mentioned, the ability to do these things, and we look at, we talk about name, image, and likeness. And I, I think that digging into this is great to see some tangible examples because mm-hmm. on the surface of it, you think, well, some student athletes just going to get paid for uh, being in a commercial for a car dealership. Right. Mm -hmm. But how you really spun this back is to say, these are opportunities for a, a student athlete to have practical real world business experience where the center of that business is kind of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that that can then build out to, like you said, whether that's a business plan or it's e-commerce skills, it's Mm -hmm. marketing skills, it's, it's finance skills, couple those with those soft, soft skills that, that you learn as a student athlete, it goes back to sort of a lot of the university missions, right? Really preparing those students for life after college. And I think it's a really interesting opportunity because of that. Yeah. And I mean, you said this already, but you know, the NCAA themselves say that most of our athletes go pro in something other than sports. I definitely wasn't a professional volleyball player. Um, and, and even if you do end up going pro um, in your sport, you can't name me a single professional athlete that hasn't had to sign a contract. And, you know, when you get to that level, of course, you're going to have representation, but then you have to ask yourself, well, how, how do I know what's good representation? What's bad representation? How, how do I, how do I know as somebody who's responsible and, and needs to have agency over my, my career path here, how to navigate those things? What, what should I look out for? What should I not look out for? And you know, that whether you're, you know, a starter or a five-star recruit, or, you know, you're the, the ninth guy off the bench, you can still get these skills through the opportunities that NIL provides you. And, you know, we've got, I don't know the exact number of athletes we have uh, on the Illini store right now, but um, just since the inception of, of NIL, we've been able to make our athletes over $65,000. 
that's awesome. You know, that's not, that's not money for, uh, you know, a cheeseburger at McDonald's. That's, that's something that can actually, you know, help you understand how money works, help you understand how business works, what the, you know, risk versus reward are. And, and honestly, like you mentioned, some of those hard skills around, you know, if I do this, that generated this much. If I do that, that didn't generate so much. So you start to learn those, those really tangible lessons very quickly. It's a unique opportunity, right? It's a unique opportunity in that sense because of all those things. And, and then again, coupled with the fact that giving those student athletes the ability to you know, make some money in, in that sense. I think we oftentimes think about the, the stars, you know, that are, that are, whether, whether that's across, you know, big revenue generating sports like football, basketball, women's basketball, but there's a ton of other sports that are, that are out there that, you know, again, these aren't generating millions and millions of dollars for athletes, but it is giving them some source of revenue that they can use in their time as a student athlete. And then those, those skills, you know, you mentioned working with the athletes a lot. Is that the, I guess what I'm trying to understand, and I think our listeners would try to understand it is the path that one as a student athlete goes down to really pursue these opportunities. Is it at an individual athlete level where they come to you, you go to them? Is it at a university level? Is it at an individual sport level? How does that work all of the above right yeah it, and, and the answer made to this like we've talked about a lot this is really evolving so it, it mm. could be shifting and changing but it's one of those things that that you know right now i think that the path is kind of being set and it's, it's one thing to be good to understand yeah yeah so the the short answer is it is all the above right now and, and that's some of the challenge around a lot of the gray area uh with the legislation or, or lack of legislation or, or even not legislation, just guidance um, around some of the NIL policies is, you know, different states have different expectations and, and things in place. And Illinois is one of the most restrictive. Um, you know, you've got other states that that have completely taken their hands off it. And it's, it's a free in, for In what all. way? It's a good question. In, in what way is Illinois restrictive? And so, I think it's a way to understand sort of, again, how these student athletes can can go about capitalizing on that name, image, and likeness. So I, I think with the intention of not wanting the schools to insert themselves uh, so completely into the opportunities that are before the athletes, um, there's some legislation in place that, that kind of prohibit prohibits um, the universities from kind of like brokering those relationships, right? Which from, from a spirit of the law, perspective is is great i i understand that i think uh based on how some institutions maybe uh interpret that or uh apply that is just a refusal to get involved at all um which you know as an educator and as somebody who you know nobody knows really what our, our values or our mission is until they get to know us. But as an educator and as somebody who knows what we're about, that's really disappointing to me because we want to put the athlete first. And oftentimes, you know, the student athletes don't know where to go or they don't know how to start this conversation or uh, more importantly, they don't know how to vet an organization because they've never had to do it before. And so um, most of, of how it's happening right now is on that individual level, right? Like that's what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm athlete development partnerships. I, I reach out to athletes and I say, Hey, this is what we can do for you. We'd love to work with you. Um, 
I would love it to get to more of like a, a school um, a, approach as well, because we talked about this already. You know, it's an educational institution. This is a great educational opportunity um, for these students to get uh, some some business skills and practice. Um, so depending on the state that we work in, there's different levels of involvement there from the institutions. Uh, and then there's also, you know, some some uh, group licensing organizations that have started to pop up um, that have varying levels of uh, involvement or requirements based on, you know, how you go about brokering endorsements versus merchandise and what have you. You mentioned the licensing part. Does that go back to, you know, say an athlete approaches you, you approach an athlete, they want to, you know, build on this, create some level of merchandise. Is there then a relationship from a licensing perspective with the university to say, hey, they can they can be seen in in the logo of this university or have that that licensing or have that you know name in in the material that they use? Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, you know that's one of the things that I think we're able to do really well because we we operate in this space of collegiate licensing. Is you know sure it'd be great for you to throw up. Like, what's your favorite number? Six. It'd be great for you to throw up, you know, a, a, a black shirt with a purple six on it that says, you know, Clinton on the back and like, oh, that's my jersey. Well, well cool. But if you're not able to use the marks, it's, it's not quite as meaningful. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's a huge, huge value add. And, and a huge thing that we're able to do is is approach you know, uh, the solutions for the athletes from a licensing standpoint, but, um, you know, licensing is, is complicated and, and people are, are very, uh, cautious about who they let use their marks and, and leverage their, um, their intellectual property, which is fine. And that's where we kind of try to leverage some of that custom merchandise as well, because it's a great thing to sell your Jersey. It's a great thing to sell a warm up shirt, but it's a whole other thing to be able to say, Hey, I want to create this, you know, this cool design doesn't necessarily have anything to do with my university, but I think that my friends and family or, you know, my fans or followers would love, you know, wearing something like this. So going at it from, from uh, both ends is, is a really, a really neat thing as well. You can see back to that licensing and, and a level of, you know, that's a hard thing to be able to navigate for a student athlete too. Right. And so it, it, it does provide, you know, again, shows the continued evolution of the space, but also that, you know, having someone such as yourself or what you do today is really valuable for that student athlete because it is tough to understand what, what is you can use. And, and I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm still learning every day, right? Like, you know, we'll come across and say, Hey, can we do this? No, we can't. Here's the reason why. And, um, and yeah, you don't even think about like, you know, you use a photo and there happens to be something in the background that has a logo that's like, you know, partially blurred out, but not entirely. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a it's a very important thing to be able to understand and do well, uh, mainly because the stakes are high, right? And you could you know uh, either miss out or, or lose out on an opportunity, or, or you know have a little a little more than just a slap on the wrist if you if you mess it up. You look at it if you take it back to a more macro level. We've talked a lot about sort of the merchandising aspect of you know what you do and what you do with student athletes. I mean, do you think that that merchandising route is 
the best route or the most lucrative, or do you see other other sort of you mentioned sponsorships or endorsements and those things? Right. Are there other routes for in this NIL space? Again, it's evolving, continuously evolving. For some reason, in my rudimentary brain, I went to undergrad at Purdue. Yep. And where I went to undergrad, that's actually in the Chicagoland area too, but Bob Rorman. The car mm-hmm. dealership was a huge thing. Bob Roman. Bob Roman. Exactly. Yes. The court is actually named after Bob Roman now at, at Mackey Arena. Um, but he had commercials that he had on, right? And he was a huge beneficiary, or, you know, benefactor for Purdue and so on. Right. In my head, when I started thinking this legislation came across, I was like, oh, I could see a Purdue athlete in a Bob Roman commercial. Right. 100%. That that's like the the thought I had in my head. I actually didn't even think about the merchandising aspect of it, which is another really interesting. Yeah. You know, we had we had a, a guest, this Kurt Halid, the guest uh, um, on a podcast uh, previously. He works in NFT space around, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and many of their their they work with college athletes and that. So there's a it seems like a lot of avenues that you don't even think about. Do you you know do you have a thought around what sort of are the best avenues to go for an athlete? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it depends on the athlete and the sport and their their marketability, right? So now now we're getting back into understanding some of those hard skills of business. Um, you know, LinkedIn, um, obviously tech skills are super important. LinkedIn recently put out a study that said some of the most in-demand hard skills, aside from tech skills, are business analytics, sales, and marketing. So being able to understand what your marketability is and what your target market could be is going to go a long way in understanding how to answer that question. Um, I think if you're, you know, uh, a, a starting, you know, quarterback or, uh, you know, safety or a starting point guard or somebody at a power five school in a large market. Yeah. You know, endorsements, affiliate links, all that kind of stuff are a really great way to go. Um, but I think there's this whole other swath. Like we, we talk about that maybe from the top 3%, right? There's a top 3% of collegiate athletes that, that that's going to make sense. They can make a mint, right? Like go for it, make it happen. That's awesome. But when we talk about this from a, a macro perspective, and especially when, you know, the NCAA or, or other people use language around like, oh, well, student athletes. Okay. Well, are you talking about you know, football and basketball athletes, or are you talking about all of student athletes? Because there are those volleyball players, there are those gymnasts, there are those, you know, swimmers, track and field athletes that they're, they're not going to approach Bob Roman's dealership and get a super lucrative commercial spot, right? Just the, the marketability isn't there. And so that's where I think athletes can maybe leverage their niche influence a little bit better in the merchandise route. Um, you know, I'll speak again from, from the perspective of a volleyball player, the volleyball community is fantastic. It's very active. It's very supportive. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's a small community, right? People get to know you and, and it's a great community to be, to be a part of. Um, not really a national draw there yet. Although I think it's one of the most exciting sports to watch. Um, so if you can leverage maybe some custom merchandise or, or leverage your own social channels and influence a, a little bit more strategically, you know, you can still make a significant amount of money that no one's going to approach you for a national commercial spot or, you know, even an affiliate link of some sort of product, you know, might not generate that much, but 
for those gymnasts who have diehard followers that have been watching their career since they were in high school, you know, probably get a rock one of your shirts or something like that. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a point you bring up that, you know, because of the availability, we're not in the age where, you know, I think back to when I was a young person, not to show my age, but the, you know, from a college, from a college sports perspective, I've, was able to watch college football on Saturdays and then college mm-hmm. basketball, you know, throughout the winter and so on. But that was really my interaction with college sports in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Those big network television and mm-hmm. cable television broadcastings. But as we have continued to sort of evolve in these spaces, there's so many more, like you, you said, niche followings of athletes in particular sports and so many avenues that you can follow those sports, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that be, you know, in the space that I work in, direct to consumer streaming services that bring you, you know, niche sports that you can consume that you would never get to see on broadcast mm-hmm. networks previously. And I think that what you mentioned is a a really good sort of parlay into that of, okay, hey, you can consume these sports that are more prevalent because they have that community built in it. Now that those athletes can capitalize on that because they, you know, you have that, that really ardent fan base and, yep. you know. All the research that you see shows that you know you can even spin it back to something like television, where Mad Men, as an example of a television program, didn't have the viewership that MASH did, mm-hmm. but the fans that they had were so into that program, right? Mm-hmm. And it is the value of really, really diehard, ardent fans higher than just the, the sort of you know scattershot approach where you have many, many, many fans. So I think it's a really good point that. Yes, there is that top 3% that are always going to garner whatever, but what you know you continue to provide or, and, and as it evolves really gives an opportunity for all those athletes. 100%. And you know, you talk about quality over quantity and you talk about that that kind of ardent enthusiasm. Um, there's a couple examples that come to my mind. The first from like, you know, an international sport level, you can watch how how Formula One is blown up in the U.S., right? And, and really that kind of started with Drive to Survive, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of getting that exciting uh, space in Netflix. And, and now you have people who are diehard followers of specific drivers, not necessarily teams. And, you know, Daniel Ricardo is one who's gone from Red Bull to Renault to McLaren now. Well, people are going to buy a, a Red Bull and a, a Renault and a McLaren hat because they're a Daniel Ricardo fan, right? right. Um, and and then so you talk about kind of that quality over quantity, where if you have that national influence, right? Maybe you've got I don't know sixty thousand followers on Instagram or something. Let's say what well, you might only get you know, a fraction of a percent of your followers uh, or a small percentage of your followers to buy your merch. Okay. Well, great. Good for you. That's awesome. But you can take, you know, somebody in this kind of niche area that has that ardent following um, of maybe only five, 5,000 followers on, on Facebook or, or uh, excuse me, on Instagram. But if they sell to, you know, 10% of their followers, that's huge, right? That's a significant amount of money um, that they're able to leverage. And so that's really the neat thing is it doesn't matter, you know, if you've got a national following, if you're, you know, if you're playing on TV every Saturday, if you have people who care about what you're doing, um, you can, you can use that to help support your way through college, which is really what NIL is about, right? You know, we've talked a lot about 
sort of the mechanics of these things, the macro mm-hmm. level, the mechanics, you know, the approaches to this. But I think one thing that's interesting to me or, or would be interesting to understand is how do the athletes feel? You know, what's the sentiment from them? And, and, you know, we hear the legislation, we hear about the impact from a university perspective. We hear about all the different, again, mechanics that uh, trying to figure out the space, but I, I've really yet to sort of see or hear about the, whether it's enthusiasm or, or confusion or worry or, or how, do I, how are athletes feeling about this? Yeah, I think so. Most of the athletes that I talk to are super excited. And, and a lot of times they're really grateful that we even reached out. We try to be really proactive because, you know, to your point, most of what people think about in terms of NIL is endorsements or affiliates. Right. So when we reach out and say, hey, you know, my name is Adam Cook. I'm from Campus Inc. This is what we do. Um you know, we'd love to build you out a locker room or whatever. So like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like I can have my own clothing line. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of excitement around it, um, initially. And then I think that there's a little bit of, of trepidation and, and concern around, wait, is this okay? And, and I think a lot of that maybe has come from some of the national conversation around, Oh, is NIL good? Is it bad? Is this, you know, where's the gray area, which is unfortunate because it's, it's an exciting thing and they should, they should be fully excited about it. Um, so there's that initial excitement, maybe a little bit of, of, of trepidation or questions afterwards, which we're always, you know, happy to answer and walk them through that whole process. Um, but the other thing that's been interesting is, you know, that, that piece of the international student as well, right. Where, you know, you're on a student visa, so you can't do any active work. And so there's this other side where maybe you reach out to somebody, you know, and they, they're curious, Hey, can I do this? Is this passive? Is this active? And so, um, I think they, the athletes are, are probably leaning in my experience, much more towards the excitement part, which, which they should, this is an opportunity for them. Um, but there's also that that concern about, you know, hey, is is this actually good? Can I actually do this? Um, and from a, a business perspective, and I hope that other organizations take this exact same approach, when students have questions for us um, or when they want to dig in a little bit more, send me a case study or let me let me vet this a little bit. We never take that personally when, when we see a student doing that or taking that approach. I mean, I, that's more confirmation to me that this is a student I want to work with because they're thinking through, Hey, you know, I don't want to just answer the phone for everybody that calls and has a quote unquote opportunity for me. Right. And so, um, that I think is, is some encouraging and exciting things to come across when you see, okay, somebody's in this student's ear, letting them know, you know, Hey, there's, there's probably going to be some people calling you that might not always have your best interest at heart. So uh, make sure you think through and do your due diligence before you agree to anything. That's what's such a, a really interesting thing about, you know, and I, I've been so interested about what you're doing and how this is evolving because again, we've seen it. If you look back historically before this was in place, there were, the opportunities for students to get involved and be worried about, you know, is this okay? And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's a great service to be able to provide to students, to student athletes to make money, but also a really great service just to help them have that peace of mind as they Mm -hmm. go through the process to understand it. I think it'll be interesting to see into five, 10 years from now, I'm sure student athletes will be much more savvy around what is okay and what is not. But right now it's, it's a necessity to be able to help them move through that and understand it, you know, as, as best they can. 
Yeah. And I mean, again, we, we talk about that kind of 3% of, of top athletes. And then there's, there's everybody else. There are some people that are, are working with representation. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll chat with agents or agencies significantly more than I even chat with the athlete themselves. Um, and, and that's fine. That's great. You've got somebody who's looking out for you and has your best interest in heart. Wonderful. Um, and then there's kind of this other swath that is maybe new agents or new agencies that have spun up because there's, op- there's, there's opportunity here. Um, and you can kind of, you know, you can tell right away, like, all right, we're not really sure what, you, <laughs> what you're doing for them. Um, and then there's, you know, kind of parents who are involved a little bit as well. And, and they're just, um, unfortunately, they're, they're just as uh, unsure about things often. Um, but you know, they have their, you know, their students best interest in mind, which is great. And then there's that last tier of people who are just out there doing it on their own. And that's where I think there's this really important space that, you know, as a coach, I felt this way. Um, I don't know a single coach that I've ever met or talked to that hasn't felt a sense of, of ownership and a sense of, um, uh, kind of care and, and wanting to kind of keep a, a hedge of protection around their athletes. Um, and it's, it's this opportunity where we can still use the university, use the professionals, use the, 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 the influence and the protection that the university has um, to, to bring these students into this space um, in a, in a wise way, in a protective way, uh, as opposed to just saying, Hey, you know, good luck out there. We can't really, you know, we can't really involve ourselves at all. Um, so I, I, I hope that as this continues to evolve in the next, I mean, couple of months, um, but sure in the next year or so that there'll be a little bit more clarity and a little bit more space for universities to do what they should be doing best. And that's protecting and looking out for the best interests of all their students. Yeah, Adam, it's, it's really insightful, insightful conversation. I mean, I think it helps us understand not only what you're doing, you know, with those student athletes, but on a macro level, right? To to be to help evolve this space and and, and do the best things for those student athletes in concert with the universities, in concert with the sports, and so on. But you know, tell people where they can actually twofold. Tell people where they can find you from a a all the, the work that you do with Campus Inc., but also the student athlete realm too, right? I mean, yeah. I think as there's a lot of our listeners that are in this space or are associated to student athletes that are wanting to understand this more. So tell us where we can find you across the board. Yeah. Um, I'm on all social channels, Instagram, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, which is the social channel as well. Um, you can, uh, reach out to me at, at campus Inc. I'm just adam.cook at campus.inc. Would love to hear from anybody and everybody. This is a wonderful thing to talk about. Um, would love to hear from athletes, uh, answer any questions. Um, and then, uh, you can find us online at campus.inc. That's our, our printing and, and, uh, fulfillment website. And if you want to see what we've been doing uh, just specifically at U of I, you can go to alignine.store. Um, we've got actually for March Madness, we've got a pop-up shop um, coming live in downtown Chicago. We're going to be on Armitage right next to Cafe Barbariba or on Halstead and Armitage right next to Cafe Barbariba. So super excited about that. Um, and then 
you know, we've got some exciting news that'll be coming in the next week or so about how uh, we're planning to take this out nationally. So we would love to, to hear from anybody and, and chat further. Well, well, we'll certainly watch for that news. And, and Adam, thank you so much for the time today. It's, it's really enlightening for, for all of us. And we really appreciate, appreciate all the insights. Yeah. Thanks, Bryce.